1: Welcome back into The Portal. I'm Amber A.
0: And I'm Andrew McKay.
1: And we're back with a Film Friday. Yeah. Getting into some indie Canadian film horror. Oh
0: man, Mm -hmm. totally didn't expect to be getting into that scrolling through some Amazon Prime videos, movies.
1: (laughs) It was the classic you're scrolling endlessly, and then we finally decided, because, you know, you can save stuff to your watch list, and we're like, well, let's go back into the watch list and see, and I literally just threw this on because we were so fed up with just browsing, and we were so pleasantly surprised by this movie. Oh,
0: man, that's, yeah, like, that's an understatement. Uh, Mm -hmm. Black Mountain Side, so that's the movie we're discussing today. Um, Yeah, you want to give some just brief details on this beauty?
1: Yeah, I I. no, actually two dates 2014 and 2016 i think it was just different releases uh but basically this was written and directed by the same dude uh nick ha ah, nick so oh, you it's like a, that a oh it's
0: a tough polish name or something it's like nick oh man that's not even close i don't
1: know let's go with Zoltz even sure that's sure. cool, but he did a really good job with all of this. He did the screenplay and everything too, so it was kind of like a one man show in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone was a heavy hitter in this. Everyone, there was no weak links in my opinion I as agree. far as casting and character. Yeah, it was all very strong. So we're kind of getting into what we would describe as like kind of like a mix between the thing. The Shining, especially in my opinion, and the ruins all in one. Yeah. It's got some Lovecraftian Cthulhu horror elements in there as well, Mm -hmm. which is very refreshing because I think it was portrayed in a way that was believable.
0: Yeah, oh absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. And so we're getting into a very, very remote location. It's the taiga of the northern Canadian Cordillera. And this is as far north as you can get. And they do make that statement a couple times and, and they're like, basically, we're the last post. Yep. So there's nothing past this. Post
0: 291, I think they, they refer to it as. Yeah. 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 Or 291 of 291.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the very last one. And we had a very strong cast. Some people have kind of um, critiqued it because it is all male cast, but I think in this case, it's believable, realistic, and it works. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of silly. It's kind of our, I feel like a lot of hypersensitivity in our culture today, where it's like, if you don't include X, Y, and Z elements, you are just going to get nicked for it a little bit but in my opinion everything worked about this movie and the casting was brilliant we have we've got like a crew of main characters hey there's one two three four five six seven main characters and it's just a core crew that you get throughout this entire film which again, like, if anyone was a weak link, like, this movie just wouldn't have worked.
0: Totally. And that emphasizes the isolation, obviously, and, like, the relationships between these people as things start to unravel a little Mm -hmm. bit. And then the fact that it's set, obviously, in just this uh, the stark darkness of winter. It just reminds me of, like, the Franklin Expedition and things like that, right? Like, being in the cold.
1: And, you know, it's a lot more modern, obviously. It's set in modern times. It's the premise of the film is basically a archaeological expedition that's going on there. They're doing a dig. They've been there for three years, and they've just uncovered things that potentially are like lifetime achievement, like accomplishments in the field of... Like the most important accomplishments in the field of archaeology to date is kind of how they frame it. Yeah. Because they're finding things that are so ancient that they kind of rewrite the narrative of what we know as prehistoric culture. Right. So here they are in the Northern Canadian Cordillera. We get these very like shining-esque again, I'll refer to it because they do a very effective job in the shining's intro of showing the remoteness through the landscape imagery. And they do have several shots. They're stills. They're not like roaming shots like they are in the shining, but they're still shots that really captured the landscape. Oh yeah. And it's, very stark. There's no music. You're not gonna get music throughout this entire thing. And it starts off with basically a poker table game. Like we've got the four buddies, they're all very intimately like familiar with each other. You can just tell. And it's all very natural. And basically we get this feeling that they are kind of at this like crossroads to a certain degree, I would say. They don't know the extent of the significance of what they're sitting on. Right. And they're waiting for the authority in the field to come. And exactly. so that's where we get the introduction of Professor Olson. So he's the head of archaeology of U of Toronto. So very, very prestigious. They make a point of saying that right away. They're like, I studied you when I was in school. I wrote papers about you and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's definitely like the bee's knees when it comes to archaeology. And
0: emphasizing the fact that this is a, an indie Canadian film, which is always yes. wonderful.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that too. So we get introduced to him and then from there we kind of get all the characters. So we get Jensen. He's kind of like the project manager, I'd say. Hey, like the, he's not the team lead as far as research goes, but as far as the organization goes, I think he's that guy. And then we get Francis Monroe, who's actually the project director. He's a Swedish guy and he's in head of like the research side of things. And then, of course, we get Drew McNaughton. He's the equipment technician, so he doesn't actually... He's got more of a blue-collar leaning, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And he's pretty significant in this film, Hey, his character. And then, as well, we have the field supervisor that's Robert Michael Giles. So he's the one in charge of sort of... Coordinating with their workers because they've got a crew of indigenous people that have come up from the reservation from down south to assist them with the excavation,
0: which is the most northern actual permanent establishment in the area. And they make that reference, like the the reservation they're coming from, which is so far north, and then they're that much further, hundred hundred miles, I think they said. Yeah,
1: exactly, at least hundred miles. And then the last person we're introduced to is Stephen Wells, and he is a corporate intern from Calgary, and he's kind of there as Monroe's assistant. And, oh, poor Wells. Should have cho- mm. chosen a different internship, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, things don't really turn out so well for Wells. But this is like bread and butter into the portal in so many ways, this movie, obviously, because Olson comes in and he's immediately presented with these findings from, uh, oh, I'm already forgetting, it, from Francis Monroe. Yeah. And they've essentially found Clovis pottery and implements that are dating that, you know, that should date to around like 14,000 BP. And this is supposed to be originating in, you know, Mesoamerica, not existing necessarily in the farthest reaches of the northern Canadian Arctic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is extremely bizarre. Plus, they're finding it at dates that shouldn't really match
1: up. Exactly. So like the I think they kind of make the reference to 11,000 years is kind of the known ending point or earliest point of this Clovis culture. Right. So, well, so just to, to like a bit. Yeah, yeah, so
0: to define that, mm-hmm. Clovis culture is essentially just a prehistoric Paleo-American culture. And there's different uh, finds of this across North America, stone implements, pottery, and different things that are very distinctive of this, quote-unquote, Clovis culture, you know, chipped from jasper, obsidian, and different, different tools and different things like this. There's more than 10,000 Clovis points that have been discovered. There's over 1,500 locations throughout North America where these have all been found, which is pretty interesting across all, like, from Texas through up into Canada, all kinds of different places.
1: Right. But
0: Mm. we're obviously talking about the farthest northern reaches of Canada today. And I pulled this interesting article up. Uh, It was from Ancient Origins, but I did find it on some other more corroborating, a little bit more peer-reviewed articles and stuff that archaeologists have found butchered bones dating back 24,000 years in the Yukon, specifically in the bluefish caves uh, in in the Yukon, Canada. (laughs) So this is the oldest signs of human habitation ever discovered in North America. Uh, so that's just kind of interesting. I wanted to throw that out there because with this story we're dealing with in Black Mountainside, this uh, Olsen is basically saying twenty thousand BP, not possible. We can't find Clovis back then. There wasn't this mm-hmm. that's the ice age. Mm-hmm. There's the there shouldn't be people building temples in the Arctic. <laughs>
1: that's crazy. So that even that that find that isn't included in the film that you just mentioned is real. And that pushes the timeline back uh, an an additional 14,000 years. Yeah. Or sorry, 13,000 years, because for them, the timeline ends at 11,000 years. Them finding these structures, as they're referred to uh, in the film, those are dated to be in bedrock soils that are 14,000 BP. So, that to me, that is the extent of their timeline. So, you're saying that now we have research today in the real world that pushes that back another 13,000 years. Potentially, Wow, that's really cool. Pretty wild. Because the other crazy part like you already touched on is the fact that they're so far north. There is no evidence of this culture that far north and even... Uh, The main guy, Olsen, the head of archaeology, he says, he's like, we're about 4,000 kilometers away from the nearest Clovis site. Right. So this is out of place.
0: Very much out of place. Distinctly out of place. And and, and he's just emphasizing this point that they look, the markings look distinctly Mesoamerican. And like when I heard that just first watching this movie, I was like, oh my gosh, it was just like the sparks going off in my brain. Like that is the coolest thing to just to think about that there could the prospect of the, it being so much more ancient, mm-hmm. and the early the early settlers of Mesoamerica coming from a way different place.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Oh, totally. There's so much you can get into with that. But uh, before we get into more, let's have a quick promo break for our sponsor, BetterHelp.
0: You know, you guys, this is a strange and uneasy world we live in at the best of time. And we know that a lot of you listening, like Amber and I, have all kinds of different things in our lives that can interfere with happiness. Like, honestly, just take a second and think about what might be troubling you the most or what might be holding you back from achieving who you want to be.
1: We were both blown away that over 800,000 people are using betterhelp.com to take care of their mental health based on their unique needs you can connect with professional counsellors in a safe and private online environment. This is not self-help. It is professional counselling. Schedule video or phone sessions with your BetterHelp counsellor or send a message anytime, day or night. You can even switch therapists at any time based on your specific needs. But the best part about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional in-person counselling and it's convenient to access from anywhere in the world.
0: We want you all to live happier and healthier lives. And as a listener of Into the Portal, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com portal. That's betterhelp.com slash portal. And financial assistance is available for those who qualify as well. So visit betterhelp.com portal to get started today. You can find a link in our show notes below.
1: And we're back. So let's get more into some of the finds, these archaeological finds that is basically extending this timeline drastically for these researchers. And Olson logically does point out that dating isn't always accurate. So you can, with carbon dating, it's estimates, right? So yeah. what, and you can get, uh, what would be the word, like contamination, I guess, of those samples potentially. potentially so he does think, point yeah. to that as a thing, but he does lean towards the fact that these are credible finds. And even when Monroe confronts him uh, with the idea, like, do you think we're hoaxing this? Like, he kind of asks him that yeah. point blank. And he's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> all the conversation, all the dialogue in this movie is very genuine. I'll say that right away.
0: It does. It almost comes across like it's, um, like I said this to you the other day, like it's kind of, it's not docu like a documentary, but it almost sort of, like the characters-wise give me that feel, like they're very mm-hmm. much real people.
1: They're very real, yeah. yeah. They're very, they're not over characterized like we've seen in other indie films and b films and things like that that are pretty recent right pretty modern and they just do a terrible job and overact it to the extreme where it's like in this case it almost seems as if they actually got people that weren't actors but actually had been involved in these fields before that's That's how it it comes across to me so almost cinema verte esque yeah And so anyway, so getting back to this whole thing with like the dates and the findings of this pottery, because this is where Olsen is being confronted with this evidence initially. And at first they just talk about the pottery. Then Monroe confronts him with the structure that they've begun to uncover and he kind of yeah it's kind of this weird moment where he's like very like almost like cheeky about it kind of like you know he has that glimmer in his eyes if he's like i've got something really good you've never seen yeah and this conversation is very convincing again right it's not unrealistic to any degree it's not like they're talking like you know there's some sci-fi movies where they're like in the lab for example and they'll start spouting off all these plastic words that are like science-y, you're just like (laughs) this is none of that Like, you know, and it's it's
0: kept super simple. They let you fill in the blanks of all of it. They don't over, overdo the dialogue.
1: No, and at they all. don't overdo the evidence too, like even the structures.
0: Well, and, and the actual like images that he's showing, like when they're, when, they're show, when he's showing Olsen the pottery, like we don't see it. Mm. They, they don't show that on camera. That's true. Which yeah. like at first I was kind of like, I didn't like that. I wanted to see these markings that were like similar to Mesoamerican markings. But at the same time, I'm cool with it because it kind of like I was filling that in, in my head and I was like, what do these look like? It's almost and, smarter.
1: Yeah, and they're describing
0: it. But like I was more engaged that way.
1: Yeah. And then it does kind of leave out moments of critique, potentially, where very you could be true. like, you could look at that and be like, that doesn't look anything like Clovis, anything, blah, blah, blah. And like, then, then it would almost like take away from the movie. So they did a very good job of of putting what they needed to put in there. Yeah. And just that.
0: I agree. Yeah, for sure.
1: So when they go and actually examine the structure, as it is emerging from the soil, we kind of get the first glimpse of the indigenous workers, too. And Olsen kind of asks about them, like where they come from and do they speak English? And I liked how Giles actually responded right away saying all of them speak English. They're all very capable people is kind of the the light that they're shone in. And I sure. think that's more progressive, I I think, personally. Oh, totally, yeah. I liked how they were portrayed that way and, and they're very able people they seem very competent
0: yeah they were and then at the same time though he's like oh they communicate with each other in their indigenous language I sure. can't remember which one he referred to but that's sort of like we don't actually meet any of those characters which is which is interesting it kind of to me that yeah. gives a little bit more and I'm not I'm, that's not a knock or anything to me that adds more to the uh the, sus- the suspense when they dis when they vanish which obviously will we're getting to in a hot sec here
1: <laughs> exactly but before all of that <laughs> there's so much more that kind of just i don't know we can kind of touch on i guess too there's so we've already introduced everyone oh we kind of forgot to mention there is a cook as well so there's another character there too yeah. that we didn't really touch on there what's his name again it's uh
0: he's a non-important character what is his name i can't remember he's got the cat he's got like cat. three lines in the whole movie yeah um
1: Which is why I kind of forgot about him. And then there's one scene in the climax of the movie where I'm like, who's that? (laughs) So maybe that's a little bit of point of a knock. But he wasn't really a central character. He was just there to help. Yeah. Which is interesting because with the doctor, for example, obviously he has a much larger role to play with all the horror that goes on with these men. But... They could have done something similar with him potentially where he's like, oh, he's just a doctor. He's just the chef or just whatever. Kind of yeah, they could
0: have. Oh, my God. Being the doctor in a, in a situation like that because it's obviously like you're up there. You're really there to like give people meds when they have a headache and, you know, frostbite, keep a watch for things like that. You're not prepared for, you know actual mass of medical procedures or yeah. things like this, like that, yeah. to be that guy.
1: He's a medical supervisor. That's yeah. kind of how they, yeah. So he's not, he's like, he even says to Olson, he's like, if you need a hand with anything, let me know. Cause I'd love to do something around exactly.
0: here. Exactly. There's yeah. not a
1: lot to do for him.
0: A little bit of foreshadowing maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's actually kind of ironic. Yeah. Okay. So now where are we at here? We've talked about the structure, but there's not just one we should make a point of saying that there's actually about a dozen of them.
0: Yeah. And there's it looks basically, I love the way this is, a, this is, uh, shown basically it's sticking like three feet out of the ground and it looks like it's just this solid mass like it's not like it's just like a corner piece and you can see like it's um like it looks like it's carved out of it's like the Yanaguni monument is like what yeah, i thought of like it's carved like, out of stone yeah it's like this solid block with these crazy markings on it and stuff it
1: looks like the top of like a temple like a, the peak of a roof or something very you much know? so
0: and that's kind of like what they're alluding to which, come, which made my mind go down a bunch of rabbit holes once they start experiencing mm-hmm. stuff because was it a temple? Was it a structure for protection? What was it? But yeah. he makes a point, uh, not Olsen, but uh, Monroe, that there's two dozen of these that they've unearthed so far. There could be more that are kind of like scattered in... I think he kind of makes it sound like it's in a straight line mm-hmm. or, or in some sort of a... Maybe it's a pattern, but they're spread yeah. out. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this is just one site, like Gobekli Tepe, like here it is, this is this is a giant temple here we're unearthing it's like a series of them, which I find strange what is what does that mean? Mm-hmm. like temple points for a journey along the way, some sort of a pilgrimage, some sort of a very bizarre
1: there's one other element too though, because they have the rock piles and right. him and Olson so uh Monroe and Olson have a conversation about that, and he kind of he's like, oh, this could be around for several reasons. Like it's very common in indigenous cultures throughout North America to do this, like to make these like rock pile, like cairn type things. They're sure. quite small, but they are significant. And then he kind of says like, it could be anything from like just a marking to like um, a place of significance or a place of ritual or a place of worship. Even they kind of make references to all sorts of stuff. So
0: it's massive in my speculation. Mind,
1: exactly. Yeah. It's all speculation. But in my mind, I thought about it. I was like, it's like a warning. It's like, it's, it's a perimeter. Because there's Ooh. more than one of them, right? Yeah. So immediately I went to big legend and thought about the markings on the trees are meant to be a perimeter of protection. Right. So something couldn't get out. It was kind of what I immediately thought of.
0: Interesting. So something couldn't get out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then mm. I kind of thought more. I was like, there's half a dozen of these structures. Like, are they temples to, to certain gods or are they burial structures? Like, are there bodies in there? You know what I mean? Like tombs. Ooh. That was my second thought.
0: Okay, that sort of ties into this next part, too, because we get this classic sort of line uh, that you often see in sci-fi movies or, or thrillers and things like that. And McNaughton, they're all sitting around uh, in the lounge room, and they still don't know what's going on here, right? So they're cheersing about potentially having the greatest archaeological find of all time. And this is McNaughton saying this, who's the tech you know, equipment tech. He's not a researcher or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know what I think? Aliens. And everyone starts laughing at him and he's like, hey, you laugh, but wait till we start pulling up the little green bodies. Of course, we never get that in this movie. It's not like the thing directly or it's not like whatever. But that's still a little bit of foreshadowing to me Mm -hmm. because that's a big open-ended question with this movie is what – if it is potentially something like the thing, maybe. Yeah.
1: No, totally. It's something that they – have no way of really reconciling or dealing with when they confront it or when it confronts them essentially. Right. I thought that was funny too that McNaughton's the one making all these like bold statements and and then also saying like there cheers as they're like you know like to the most potentially the most uh important archaeological find ever. And it's like coming from a blue collar like non-scientific person like of course you're the one saying that. Like no one else is really going to come on and say that. I don't think. I
0: mean they're they're definitely alluding to that. I mean, you know.
1: They are but like i feel like science like, scientists generally don't want to like proclaim something until it's like really
0: i mean they're all cheers into it though, they right? are they're not, they all want to hear it that.
1: but they're not going to be the ones to say it it's mcnaughton that says it which right. i think is revealing and then giles he's quick to point out that mcnaughton's going to go down as the one who sat on his ass the entire time while this was happening which yeah. is kind of funny too So he doesn't really have that important of a role in the actual archaeological side of things. He's more so there to make sure the radios are working and the the sleds are working and the equipment and all that. The jennies. Jennies are important. And
0: you get this stark contrast from a scene like that where you just get these constant cuts to black throughout the scene where it says the date right? So it's like, we just get, there's, we, the gaps aren't filled. We have to fill it in our heads as to like how things are degrading, not progressing, I would say. Yeah. And that happens after this scene. Yeah, totally. And it adds to the suspense. Oh yeah.
1: It's very Shining-esque too, right? Where there's those cuts to black that you get all the time. And then it'll be something very, like there's the one cut to black in The Shining that I remember quite clearly where the next scene is just... Um, little, the little kid throwing the ball against the wall, yeah. like over and over yeah. again. Or no, no, it's not the little kid. It's Jack.
0: It's Jack. It's Jack, yeah, he's right. throwing the
1: ball and it's just like this repetitive thing. You get a lot of those same elements in this movie. You get it when Giles is chopping the wood and he's like, ah! every time he goes to chop a piece and then you get this gradual build up with uh, uh, Jensen as he walks past and you just hear this like ominous, like building of tension that's like not strings, but it's like this ambient sort of tone. I Love down. It. So good. Very Shining-esque too, right? Where it's just this build, build, build. You hear the guy screaming still in the background, but it's slowly getting echoey and fadey and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he just, it just cuts to nothing. Like it's right. just like, not black, but it cuts to the next scene where he just walks into the, <sighs> into the kitchen where he finds a very bloody scene, but we'll get to that in a sec. We'll second, get to right? that in a sec. The first thing that really is weird is the cat, right? So essentially... We get the research assistance, so Wells starts acting a little strange, but no one really thinks much of it, including the audience, I don't think. It's only when they find the mutilated cat that people are like kind of hairs yeah. hairs up on the back of the neck kind of thing. Yeah. So he's the cat is essentially found destroyed on top of the structure. It looks like it was sacrificed in some That's bloody it way. Looks like. It looks like it was burned. It looks terrible. And one of the indigenous workers comes forward uh, claiming to see what had happened, and he says that he saw McNaughton. Right, and it's he's very plain about it. He doesn't. It's not as if they would have any hard knocks with McNaughton. They're just there. No. So I love this, and you called this um, a really almost like docudrama esque scene because it's almost cinnoverte where it seems so real. It doesn't seem. It seems like we're watching a documentary, not an actual movie.
0: Yeah, he's sitting in the office and he's radioing, right, you know, on the okay. radio with McNaughton, right?
1: Exactly. So Jensen, the t- the t- lead of the team, he. Just radios him. He's like, McNaughton, did you kill the cat? And then McNaughton's just <laughs> like, nah, was me. No worries, buddy. I believe in you. You'll figure it out, is yeah. kind of the line. And it was just like, and the cook, Raymond, who owned the cat, is sitting right there. So he, and he kind of shakes his head too. And he's like, okay, well, I guess it's a mystery.
0: Well, none of it makes any sense. And Jensen makes that line. He's like, none of this, this doesn't make any sense. No. Why?
1: Yeah. Why would he do that? Why and would McNaughton, uh, tech, do anything like that. It makes no sense. I honestly kind of thought it was the Indigenous people. What do you think? Do you think it was McNaughton or do you think it was the Indigenous?
0: Yeah, I do. I think it was. And I think he, and I think he, it was like he was, he had blacked out or something. Like he doesn't remember doing it.
1: And he, uh, yeah. And
0: that's the reason why we get this next, to me, this is so creepy. Well, I I mean, it's.
1: Okay. Can I just make a counterpoint though? Like, Sure. Well, just the idea that if it's McNaughton, that's affected heavily first. I'm, I'm having troubles with that because he isn't around the archaeological find as much as the others, like Giles and, like, the indigenous workers. Oh, but he's, and- no,
0: but absolutely he is. But he, he's he's in there manhandling the a Clovis piece when he's talking to them, talking about how far north they are. Oh, okay. He's touching the pieces. Like, he's That's in it. He's, he's around them. Plus, it's such an isolated place. It's like if other people had been in contact... I mean, hey, everybody, we're in COVID-19 right now. Everyone knows everything about this. It's like you don't have to go very yeah, you have, that's true. Like, right? You don't have to go very far. It's like and it's they're affecting all,
1: them all differently. Same but different. Exactly. Okay.
0: And he is the second one to go. True. It's like Wells, Wells is the yeah, first. Yeah,
1: Wells is the first. And so it seems like that research assistant position is the most vulnerable position because you are, like you said, man handling the pieces of the finds and the archaeological um, remnants and things like that. So, actually, yeah. Okay, maybe that makes sense.
0: And it's like the stuff inside. we haven't even got to this part yet. So, like, we'll hold on to that because obviously, you know, archaeological pieces being indoors versus outdoors, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yes. So, again, we get another classic cut to black right after the radio sequence where um, McNaughton denies killing the cat. Right. And it cuts to November 15th. So, it's another five days. And we don't know what's going on in those five days. All we know is there's kind of a huge development. So, three out of five workers have vanished yeah um Giles, who's kind of in charge of them uh he basically says that he's found tracks leading away he thought it was going towards the reserve he wasn't sure and basically they're going to make a 90 mile trek to the reserve
0: at least that's what they think yeah at first at
1: first at first, at first. so yeah why would they leave in the middle of the night they're basically dooming themselves to death. Like, they make a point of saying that right off the bat. Like, we've got a five-ish hour workday because that's all the sun we have. And we yeah. can't work past that because we'll freeze. <laughs> 50 Makes below. Makes sense. Makes your sense. Bl- he says your blood below. will
0: freeze. Could you imagine that? He's like, yeah, Giles or Giles or whatever. He's like, I wouldn't want to be the poor son of a bi- son of a bitch to experience that. Could you mm-hmm. imagine your blood literally freezing as you're walking?
1: No. <laughs> How would you breathe? Your lungs I would freeze. I mean,
0: you. yeah. I mean... But just the way he describes it, like they're trekking out in the middle of the night, 50 below.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean,
0: obviously, if there's any people that are going to be able to survive that, it would be the indigenous people from the reservation that's 90 miles away. But that's pretty insane, obviously. And they're they're speculating right away to me like that was like height of paranormal because it's Mm -hmm. like they're leaving. They start speculating on all kinds of stuff that's playing on a lot of you know, a lot of stereotypes and things like that. Like, oh, you know, they're very superstitious people. They've got different belief systems about animals and things like that. So they thought maybe the cat was the trigger, but then they allude that maybe something else. It was the cat in addition to something else. That was what was so bizarre to me.
1: Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a funny crux of the film because we get the basic abandonment of the workers. And then we also, in this same scene... We get the first real kind of, like, visceral Ooh. sequence of, like, <laughs> Wells getting sick. Yeah. So the research assistant from Calgary, Wells, he ends up just randomly barfing up, like, black blood or some sort of other putrid substance that we're yeah. not sure of. It's black, definitely. Yeah. And from there, they're just kind of all shocked. They don't know why. He basically says, like, I ate what you guys ate. Like, I don't get it. Like, you know. Right. And he's just feeling like crap. And so then he goes to the doctor and the doctor kind of, you know, at first he says, oh, you got the flu, I guess. Like, you know, I don't really know what else to tell you. You feel like shit? Like, that's it. His but best
0: guess. He's like my best guess. Yeah, you got his the best flu. guess. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is
1: scary. And I liked how they included, or the doctor, he said, he's like, oh, you know, like some people, like they don't know they're sick because they're like asymptomatic, but they are carrying a virus with them and they'll transfer it to someone else who will get sick. So they're kind of laying out that sort of viral transmission sort of thing early on. Yeah. Which is really what starts to happen. So then they start to reach out and they can't get anyone on the radio which is, is another huge red flag eh?
0: a huge red flag and also just very strange like their supply drop doesn't show up it's like three four days late that's the first red flag yeah. but then after this instance with the research assistant obviously they're trying to get a hold of anyone can't get a hold of anybody and this is a question that's like so strange to me because like they hadn't sent pieces out you know it's not like they'd sent pieces back to be researched elsewhere yeah. or anything like that they no hadn't contact. they physically hadn't gone there they had Made, I guess, contact with people making supply drops. So that's maybe something, a reason why. But they speculate, they're like, oh, we can't get a hold of anyone because there's maybe a storm. Mm-hmm. And you're fin- like, fingers crossed, like they're hoping that's the case, yeah even though they don't know what they're yet dealing with. And yeah. then they make this very grim discovery uh, with Giles and, ooh, I'm always forgetting the names, the main guy, um, Jensen. Jensen going to try to follow the tracks of their indigenous workers that left. And making the re- and coming coming to the realization that they're going in the wrong direction, yeah. they are not going back to the reserve. They are marching north in the exact opposite direction. And this didn't really occur to me at first, but it's like obviously these people working the excavation are in the closest contact with the temple, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they would be the first to exhibit strange behavior. If you in- if you don't include the cat, yeah, right.
1: That's why I was kind of on the fence about the cat, whether that Indigenous man, he was saying it was McNaughton because he almost had a false memory of it, or he was just saying it because that's what the thing is telling him to say. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. So I was, it was kind of 50-50 for me. It could have been McNaughton, which would be really freaky because that's really early on. Right. Or it makes sense that it was the Indigenous people and they are lying because they were the ones that were in the closest proximity.
0: And they were just, and it's just all, and then and then again, told to walk in the wrong direction
1: i guess they yeah they obeyed the directive and uh and that was interesting too because uh jensen when they're out there and they're looking at the footprints and he's like is there anyone else out here it's like uh you're like the team expedition leader like i think you would know that but he has to like ask the question just so he's not going insane i think
0: yeah yeah i think so too and
1: i think also he asked that because i think he's already starting to have those dreams we don't see it yet but he's starting to have those dreams where he's seeing people in the woods
0: Which is extremely creepy.
1: Yeah. Oh, so creepy. That is like the hugest, most effective thing about this movie is the way they're able to instill that creepiness through just mood alone. Mood, the cinematography, and using the howling wind of the Arctic. Like...
0: And like, you're making me feel as if like where they are doing this excavation, like going back to what you mentioned with like the the markers, the stone markers going around and they identified them as like 600 years old, like very more modern. But then they talked about that. They make these references to like bear traps everywhere. Like the going closer to the reserve, there is a circle around the reserve of bear traps. And it's kind of like this juxtaposition to like the site they're at where they're seeing these rock piles around it to me that's like kind of making reference oh, to that yeah. where it's like this much more these much more ancient peoples were maybe doing that you they're know, it's not it's not a bear like trap, trap but it's it's very like you said say, similar to big legend where it's it's keeping something in it's like the castle hoska of the middle of the woods you know what i mean it's like keeping some sort of demonic entity if that's what you want to call it that's like my language nowadays is to refer to what they're experiencing in that one place mm mm-hmm. mhm because like
1: containment,
0: yeah, and 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 to me, it's like maybe that has something to do with why they can't get a hold of anyone. It's not because people have left their posts. It's not because there's a storm on the other side of the mountain range or anything like that. It's because they are in some sort of like a weird. I mean,
1: something that's been awakened, like a port,
0: like yeah, but almost like a like a different ex- reality a or something. Like it's like a portal They're or something. The veil.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Like, they're still there, That's yeah. but they're seeing things that shouldn't be there.
1: That's interesting you say that, especially in regards to the radio. I think that's especially relevant because it's almost as if the others in other areas have either turned the radio off or they're being blanketed by some weird fog. Like, that was kind of what I – I thought of electronic fog instantly because I was like, oh, like, maybe that could be – like, they're basically – Incorporated into this fog and they're outside of that. That's why it's called like Black Mountainside maybe. I don't know. You know?
0: Actually, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Going back indoors where they're still examining the pottery and of course there's these Mesoamerican-esque markings and Olson, he's kind of playing with this theory back and forth, the two guys, uh, Olsen and the Swedish guy, mm, Monroe. Uh, Monroe, about when exactly these people could have existed like pre-Ice Age, post-Ice Age, during the Ice Age, was it the ice age that actually wiped them out and then Olsen makes this interesting reference this is the first time we get this reference of animal gods a deer god which is of course the figure we end up seeing in the film it's very much like the ritual or like it reminds me of like the wendigo type monster and these are these animals are depicted as gods Mm -hmm. Um, even more curious though he mentions this piece of pottery where Unlike the others where there's clearly human forms shown, there is this one, or maybe there's multiples, where there's essentially like human limbs missing, disfigured, human-like entities, and he believes that it's depicting a plague or an illness. And this is their first, this is such a good quote, right? He's like, it's happened before, the curse of the pharaohs, which is so true, like ancient pathogens coming back to life after being unearthed, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the total science side of it. And then you're getting all these weird experiences and it's blending with the paranormal. But that is kind of what he proposes. And that's the first time we're like, oh, shit, what have they dug up here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, too, going back to the finds and the pottery, the evidence that they've collected so far kind of suggests that these people have been there for a couple hundred years. And it's the earliest piece. or Sorry, not the earliest. It's the youngest of the pieces. So the most recent of the pieces that depicts these um, disfigured people and things like that. So it's kind of like the ending of their, of their time. And they kind of make these uh, sort of like suggestions, like, was it the cold that killed them? Was it the cold that was protecting them? Right. And they kind of come to that conclusion later on. One thing I do want to mention too, quite just briefly here, going back to those stone piles, those stone piles actually weren't dated to be in that same Range, no. they were dated to be only about five to six hundred years old, mm-hmm. which means that perhaps the indigenous people have more knowledge and I don't know, like maybe this has happened before, like even I'm thinking that would place it roughly just before like um colonization and things like that, and right. And the arrival of Columbus and all those things. But maybe
0: that's the reason why their their workers marched north too. Because maybe that was like a part of like legend and lore, oral tradition. Mm. And they realized that it was true. And so like to 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 prevent it from spreading, they were like they you know, it's like out on the ice flow. Like Actually, walking uh, north, keep it as far away as possible. That
1: makes so much sense. I never even thought of that. Maybe that was it. That makes – yeah, that, that really buttons that up for me because I was like, are they just committing suicide? or Are they just at the beck and call of, of the voice and the creature and that type of thing? I mean, that
0: makes sense too. Let's get to that.
1: Yeah, sorry. Do we keep alluding see? to that. And we, yeah, because we get these – it is a creature. It's like a dear god. It's actually a puppet, which is really cool because they do a good job. It kind of reminds me of Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Bit. But you get the, the voice is by this Nathaniel dude who's like – He's so deep, and he like he's like, do you see? And he case he he approaches each individual member of the expedition separately, and they all begin to see him, even though he is imaginary, he is in their heads because is he? Yeah, because is there's he? yeah, there's scenes where Monroe, after he goes insane, which we'll get to in a second here, but he yeah loses his mind essentially, and he is seeing the thing behind jensen right and jensen can't see it
0: no he can't he can't see it the way oh,
1: well, the way that monroe the way that
0: monroe's it. seen it but that doesn't mean it's not there and
1: monroe it's like affecting him to a a large degree more so than the others i think because he says he's watching him all the time he can't make a single move without this thing watching him so he's he was inducted earlier than i think the audience is made aware of yeah. in the film
0: yeah for sure
1: inducted. This is funny. It's almost like they're being yeah, inducted into a cult where they're basically
0: it's like a death being, cult.
1: Yeah, they're they're basically being led by this this weird Entity. Uh, ancient demigod thing. Like I don't even know. It's
0: very much like the ritual people. Go back and listen to that film Friday if you haven't watched that. Yes. It's very similar.
1: So it really ties into the animal imagery that we see depicted in the pottery or sorry, we don't see it, but the people reference it in mm-hmm. the movie. And it kinda of ties up that loose end. So Olsen ends up hearing it too. And he doesn't actually it's 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 disembodied to him at first. Olson was an interesting one because he kinda of, he hung on the longest. Uh, so he's the head archaeologist from U of T. Yeah. And yeah. the only time he really loses it is when he starts to hallucinate that Wells is talking to him after he's. Is doomed. it? I think is
0: it Wells or McNaughton? I think it was McNaughton who had blown his head off. Oh, sorry, and it then was McNaughton. Was yeah. on and then the he journey. just ends up
1: smashing his like head like a freaking watermelon. Just like.
0: Yeah, and the doctor comes back in, <laughs> staring at him. He's just like, it was. I. It was so real, and it, of course, the doctor just thinks he's hallucinating. He's sort of the only one who seems to have not exhibited any symptoms. Mm-hmm. At this point, the doc.
1: Let's talk about that then. Let's talk about the the degradation of the team because we haven't really touched on that. Yeah. The first thing we get is Wells, and we did mention how he vomited up that black bile like stuff. Yes. And so after that happens, we get another really disturbing scene where they have to cut off his arm because there's something in his arm.
0: It's like bubbling up. It's and bubbling. It's all
1: weird is it cephalopod like i don't know but it's this dark weird thing and so they end up doing like yeah like an emergency amputation and then from there we get mcnaughton losing his mind and he ends up cutting off his own hand and that was the disturbing scene that i was alluding to earlier where i was like when they're using that ambience that effect and jensen's walking up to the the kitchen cabin like where they all eat their meals and everything And he walks in the front door and he's all like, whatever. And, and McNaughton sitting at the table, totally whatever. And he just happens to look over and he's just cut off his own hand. And he's just sitting there like so intense. Like he looks so angry. Hey, like he's totally lost it. And he's just sitting there with a knife still in his hand. His other hand's laying on the counter, on the table, and then he's just got this bloody stump.
0: And it's like a bread knife. It's yeah. like, it's not even like a sharp knife.
1: No, it's disgusting. Yeah. Like, he, he mangled it so hard that the doctor says that he's going to lose the entire arm.
0: And when, he's, when Jensen's walking up to—I know you've made a few references to The Shining and how it reminded you of that— they do such a good job. I, I love the camera work in Black Mountain Side for this sort of like they do this sort of half half circle, half moon panning when they're behind someone moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also do the full 360 degree like around the poker table at the beginning or around the, the, amputation, uh, the amputation scene. scene and mm-hmm. it's just like it just adds so much dramatic effect to it it's like you're a fly on the wall.
1: Oh, it's like you're part of them. Yeah. You're flying around with them. you exactly. Trying to pin them down. That's how you feel. You're right in the action. Exactly.
0: It's, it's always really moving. Effective. It's always moving. Yes. Right, right? Like
1: that's what I like about that. Yes. Another thing. Yeah, that's funny. You say the shining again and like all of the scenes that you see in the shining from behind when they're walking down halls or they're walking through the snow and all that kind of thing that's very closely resembled in this film and they do a really good job and of that. the wide
0: angle i think you mentioned it earlier but that that wide angle right after the amputation scene um you got giles out there sitting on the sitting on the deck the front porch of mm, the, cabin, the medical cabin yeah and it's this panned out you can't see his face he's just sitting there as a small figure right in the dead center of the screen
1: breathing heavy
0: breathing really heavy lights a cigarette takes his hat off all dramatically and it's about a I mean, I I don't know how long it is. It's got to be about twenty seconds. It feels yeah. like it's a really long time, and it's just it's just that it's just the mm-hmm. still wide angle shot of the cabin and him sitting there, and it's, it's just, just yeah. so
1: dramatic. Having a smoke, like smoking, is the only um, thing that basically. Oh, what am I trying to say? It's, it's like the trope that keeps their sanity with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you see them doing that, that's like in their most like clear moments, I think. Just
0: chain smoking to stay sane.
1: Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And I was actually not clear if that, because you get the cut to black in the November 26th or something like that, I think it is, the date. And and it's daylight. I don't think that's right after the amputation. I think that's like 10 or 6 days later.
0: And he's just... And
1: he's just doing that because like that's... Right. They're all losing it at this point. Like gotcha. Everyone. Okay, so we've gone to the amputation scene and then we've gotten to the scene with... McNaughton. McNaughton. And then essentially McNaughton ends his own life. He blows his head off and they mm-hmm. find him, which and I actually thought it was Giles for a second there because Giles has the gun and he was like... He's the only one with a gun. It's a shotgun.
0: There is another gun we find out later, right? Is there? Yeah, because oh, true, Jensen because ends up Jensen shooting Jensen has a gun too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I there's, mean, a I, a <laughs> there's a bit of a shootout. There's a bit of a shootout. Let's talk cephalopods really quick here, though, because okay. that, to me, like some people would probably use that as a knock on this movie because it wasn't necessarily fully developed and it just kind of leaves it for the viewer. But at the same time, that's the same with a lot of sci-fi movies. I mean, you could even say that about something like the thing. They don't tell you where it's from. You don't get anywhere with it. It's all just like just abject horror, and you fill in the blanks yourself. mad lib horror, basically you do get As, a
1: ship though, in the thing, like in ice,
0: but you but it's alluded to like it was being transported, transported by who, where, why, when? I mean, there's just so many other questions mm-hmm. to that, right? Cephalopod is a word that comes up in this film. Not expecting that at all. So the doctor does these these, uh, autopsies and finds these, you know, cells, the the cellular formation that are cephalopod cells. Mm -hmm. And he refers to it as a bacteria that's like taking over. So uh, he's not really sure Mm -hmm. what exactly he's working with, but they're standing there in the middle of the Arctic and they're all looking at each other and being like, you're telling me he's turning it, that he, Wells is turning into an octopus? And he's like, not exactly, more like thousands of tiny
1: octopuses.
0: And he's like, what? And right then and there, I'm like going back to the McNaughton line about the aliens. Holy shit, maybe he was right. Maybe this is some sort of a 20,000 BP ancient civilization that happened to be doing half decent in the Arctic somehow. And they end up encountering something that either is or isn't from this planet, but definitely not something they had seen before. Is that alien? I mean, I don't know. I mean, cephalopod sounds so alien. Yeah, or is it just
1: prehistoric? Because, <laughs> like, we get real-life examples of that, even the mosquito jungle, right, With uh, in Honduras with the the city of the lost monkey god, right? Like, that yep. was a bacteria infection. Like, very true. Leishmaniasis. Leishmaniasis. So this is this is different, though, because it's very sci-fi-esque, very Cthulhu-esque, too. This whole insertion of the cephalopod. I don't yeah. get it, too. You had a good point, Andrew, when we were talking off air. About how it's like, okay, so you get a deer god element. Right. Where does the the deer – Like, like where does that fit in? I know.
0: And so, like, we kind of were saying, like, okay, in my mind, the the whole deer, the elk, whatever you want to call it, that god obviously was a creature that would have been in and around that area for, like, slightly more – like, maybe the Clovis culture 14,000 type range – The whole cephalopod cells and that type of entity being there would have had to have been when it was like an ocean, right? Like it was like leftover remnants from something even more ancient. Like we're talking 65 million plus Mm -hmm. years ago that ends up messing with a human population 20,000 BCE. Like if if it's terrestrial, if it's of this earth. If
1: it's terrestrial. There are a lot of elements that make you think it's extraterrestrial because... It behaves in ways that we don't normally see, like as far as replication goes, as far as transmorphing the cells of something else, very virus-like. You right. Know?
0: But then we also we also kind of were bouncing back this idea too, with this this demigod, this elk like figure. That's very much like out of the ritual, like this sort of ancient being of some kind. And then we have the bacteria mm-hmm. on the flip side. It almost kind of sounds a little bit like the thing where it's almost like maybe there's some sort of a collective consciousness going on right now with this entity i'm air quoting here Mm -hmm. that is affecting each and each individual in this group yet it is one thing it is one ancient entity because everyone has seen this same thing yeah very similar
1: it's not as if it's like uh you're on a mushroom trip and everyone's having a different trip everyone's having the same trip and it's it's more so the the visuals are very consistent i was kind of going back and forth and thinking like oh yeah like perhaps the bacteria is producing an illusion or delusions like you know they're they're hallucinating essentially but they're all having the same hallucination and the message is very clear and it's very much like stylized the character too it's like either provoking them or like making them hear things they don't want to hear like especially in the case of olsen very true especially the very end there when he's having his old confrontation at the very climax of the film.
0: I love that scene. We we mentioned it a minute ago with him and Jensen. And he's like, he's always watching me. Don't leave me. He's like, well, he's like, oh, no, Olson,
1: That's Monroe. Or sorry,
0: Monroe. Monroe. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's he doing now? Jensen mm-hmm. says. And he's like, he's watching you. He's touching you.
1: Mm-hmm. And like,
0: that was just so, oh, I love that. So, so dark. that
1: was his version of it. Jensen had his own entire version of it very similar but he was having these dreams or but they weren't actual dreams i'm pretty sure he was physically out in the snow looking into the tree line seeing multiple individuals hearing almost like echoes of the past of people suffering it's like kind of like screaming and yelling and all that weird stuff and then basically he later on sees the image of the the deer demigod thing right but he kind of has his own version right where they're all looking at him
0: it's slightly different it is slightly yeah. different, but him hearing those screams that – and they're very faint, right? Like very it's, it's, faint. But it to me, it was like, oh, like, have they stumbled upon – like, this? is that like trapped remnants of, of what had happened to these people before? Like, you're literally hearing the screams of those souls that are still trapped within this circle that's demarcated by these rock piles and mm-hmm. ancient structures that are buried, and now you are within that realm as well?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, right? totally. Right, like that's
0: what I'm thinking. It's like they found a portal to hell.
1: And I think it was a very weird, um, personalized message for him too, right? It's like you see me good, like you know. And he, what else did he say to him? Where it was oh, like, yeah, it was like we are watching you, and like you, you see us now, right? And like as if he's made that connection, he's crossed that threshold, and makes
0: this comment that he's a god. Like he, yeah. I'm saying he that it, this entity is a god. Yeah. He says that to uh, he.
1: It's a he voice.
0: He voice, and and and, and it says that uh, to Olson with the voice on the gurney too. It's like you know, like basically calling the human race just insignificant parasites or whatever, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the weird part about that too. It was very personalized to yeah. Olson.
0: So it's like, would a bacteria? Be, oh man, I don't know. Yeah, like mm. would 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 just what a pathogen make everyone see that's very similarly like it's just this virus yeah. that makes you do that think that it's so bizarre
1: it's one element it's not all of it though too because like there's other elements of literally just like sleep deprivation that is causing them to kind of lose their shit and also the element of distrust because there's yep. a huge breakdown in the huge, like the group overall, like it, it basically it's every man for himself by the end of it and and Giles in particular becomes quite paranoid.
0: He ends up, of course, let's let's, let's get yeah, to that. Yeah, so
1: essentially after much kind of like back and forth between him and Jensen, he basically thinks Jensen's out to abandon them. He kind of forms his own plan because he's been the watch over Monroe since Monroe... Oh, we never even touched on that. Monroe went and finished off Wells. So he ended up under the directive of the demigod deer. He goes and basically hacks him apart. Yep. We don't get the full gore of it, but he alludes to it in his like rant of a conversation. Where he's like, he made me do it. And he's like starting to really lose his shit. And like he basically says, I tried to shut him up. He asked me to kill him. Yeah. And I and I slit his throat and he still wouldn't stop talking. So I cut off his head and he still wouldn't stop. And it's like, yeah. I, in my head, I was thinking, I thought originally he was talking about Wells talking to him, which he definitely could have been. But I also kind of more so the second time around watching it, I was like, he, 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 he repeatedly says he, 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 but I think he's referring to the deer thing. Right. Not the, and he says it. he made me do it. He made me do it. Yeah. And from there he kind of just, yeah, he's, he's imprisoned and Giles is in charge of watching him. And so Giles isn't sleeping. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. And so he ends up huh, going on a rampage.
0: Rampages it, basically kills everyone and then gets shot himself yeah. by Jensen. Yeah. Jensen Ooh. and
1: Olsen are the only two survivors. Yep. He kills the cook. He kills the doctor. He kills Monroe. Uh, and that was all that's left at that point. That was everyone left. Yeah.
0: And then of, it's just, yeah, it's just Jensen and Olsen left. I loved the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. You basically have Jensen with a gunshot wound from from Giles, Giles. We've been referring to both throughout this movie. <laughs> yeah. I can't even remember exactly what it was. Who is Giles? And uh, he's not going to make it clearly. And he tells Olsen where the path is to the reservation, Olsen probably we he you can see in his eyes like he doesn't stand much of a chance either mm-hmm. yeah. but he's gonna make the go of it Jensen decides to grab a bunch of dynamite to blow up at least one of the st- structures that's partially buried in s- this sort of va- vague attempt to stop what's happening but that's clearly not gonna work mm-hmm. but I really didn't en- enjoy I'm so morbid I really did like the ending of just Olsen getting caught in the bear trap yeah and it's just a cut to credits Mm-hmm. there's not there's no calling for help he's just kind of he's screaming, he's screaming for a minute and then it's just we we just assume you you're left to fill it in again mm-hmm. and i love that
1: that's the most effective part of all this in this movie
0: and to me it's almost like it's got this air of like a dyatlov pass-esque vibe to it right because it's like the people that go up and come across this scene what the hell happened to these people
1: oh my god right like yeah. what
0: the hell happened yeah and you've got the guy with his arm hacked off and you've got cephalopod cells and some guy's spinal cord you've got gunshot wounds to the head you've got mm-hmm. a guy in a bear trap however many miles away trying to get away you've beds. got the <laughs> indigenous workers marching north absolutely bizarre so it's
1: right for a sequel i'd say i would say so mm. well or prequel maybe
0: oh yeah maybe a prequel
1: yeah yeah
0: well we want to know what you guys think sequel prequel i mean if you haven't watched it i know some of you guys listened to our film fridays before checking out movies teach their own Mm -hmm. make sure you check out this this movie on amazon prime because it is awesome i hope
1: we convinced you guys
0: yeah absolutely and uh, it'll still be enjoyable despite all the spoilers
1: despite all them and (laughs) and yeah like all of our yeah no it's just such a unique and refreshing take on horror oh yeah yeah it was was very clean very well done it did win uh indie awards there was one in particular i thought it was kind of funny it was like a uh Oh, was it like the Cthulhu horror or like the Lovecraftian horror film fest or something? Yeah, Maybe, something It like was that. a winner. I was like, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. you got your cephalopod elements in there. Totally. Uh, yeah. Over. Uh, yeah. We want to know what you guys thought of this movie. Uh, do you agree with our take on things? Do you have a different opinion? Yeah. We want to know.
0: What's your take on sort of the idea of a of that sort of ancient culture existing pre Clovis? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, we talked about a little bit of evidence twenty four thousand BCE some bones and things like that but like this is ITP bread and butter we love this kind of stuff especially when there's ancient pathogens and monsters and things like that involved as well <laughs> so leave a comment on social media come follow us at Into the Portal Podcast don't forget that uh, actually I don't know if we meant we loosely mentioned it in the last episode but we've got a really cool sticker contest going yes. on right now for our network Straight Up Strange Productions and it's super easy you guys just hop onto Instagram go at Strange Pods come follow us over there we've got a few posts up all you gotta do is like our sticker contest Post, follow the account obviously tag a friend and hashtag a monster or a cryptid that you would like to go searching for or that you believe in or that you love Mm -hmm. super easy contest and then you get entered for a sticker pack it's seven original designs and yeah. they're all pretty sweet ufos we got the sasquatch forest creature we got cool stuff
1: exactly and then on top of it we've had other network shows hop on the bandwagon and they're gonna throw in more swags so there's gonna be lots of fun stuff to go around so just get your name in the hat there and
0: absolutely we've had a few
1: entries already there's room for a lot more of yes so come on let's yeah it.
0: <laughs> so that's at strange pods p-o-d-s on instagram so yeah come hit us up and as always thank you so much for listening until next time on into the portal
1: your gateway to the bizarre.